Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, good morning, man. How's it going? Good morning. Things are going good. Holidays kind of coming up. We do a yearly or for the most part, yearly like holiday trip. So looking forward to that. And then I'm also kind of digging into looking into seeing, I guess, where I want to go next year as far as travel goes. Um, so that's just kind of been what's on my mind recently as far as like things outside of just like work, working out, you know, like eating kind of just the generic stuff. So yeah, I always just love that. That's one of the things that, you know how people go on Zillow and like look at houses for fun and like, Oh, like I want to buy that one. Yeah. My version of fun is like, let's go on Airbnb and click like the I'm flexible option. It's like, let's find like the most unique Airbnbs. And I have like a big wish list of like, when I visit here, I'm staying there. When I visit here, I'm staying there. So that's kind of been my thing is like, Hmm, where do I want to go next year? That's funny. You do that. Cause I do the exact same thing. Like when I'm bored, I'll just get on Airbnb and sit and look for unique properties to be able to go and stay at. And I don't even really care where they're at. I'm just trying to find cool places to be able to stay. I'm kind of obsessed with that as well. And I'm in a weird way. So that's weird that we both do the exact same thing. I've got a bunch of favorited ones from places all over the country and in different countries and stuff. That's not necessarily places like that. I want to go to visit that specific area, but just because I really like those Airbnbs and want to be able to go and stay in those places. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things I know a lot of people are kind of like, well, most of your time is spent outside of the hotel anyways. So why kind of even bother like looking for like the fancier options or kind of like, it's like, you know, you're out the sightseeing for 80% of the day, kind of what's the point. But for me, as much as I like the sightseeing and all that, I also like the hotels and the Airbnbs and finding unique ones. So that's like, just as much of like the travel experience, like as the actual sightseeing is for me. So yeah, I love it. And I do the same thing with just like Google flights. I don't know how many of you listening are like proficient with like using Google flights, but there's a feature on there where it's like, you can click, you know, I want to travel to Europe in the next six months. Like here's how long I want the vacation to be. And it'll basically list like all the flights. So like in the next six months, you want a one week trip to Europe and it'll show you like, here's the best options and it's like dates and stuff. So it's like, sometimes if I'm, if I'm out on Airbnb, it's okay. Like, let's just pretend I just had no idea where I wanted to go. Where can I find the best deals to? And that's actually some of how I found previous trips where it's like, I never would have thought of going here, but like the deal is too good to pass up. So like, I'm just going to bite the bullet and that's usually kind of how I end up picking my spots that I want to travel to. It's just kind of, that's a good deal. And I want to go there eventually. So just kind of knock them off one by one that way. That's awesome. You've done a lot of travel in the last few years, at least since you've been working for me. Um, and obviously me paying attention to your socials and, and whatnot. It seems like you've done a lot of different travels. Where are you headed? To, when When are you leaving and where are you going? So for the next year trip, that's still up in the air. I have a few like top destinations um didn't you say you were going somewhere though like for the holidays oh yeah for, yeah so that's just like a mexico family trip oh, nice. um so instead of doing like christmas presents we just do like a group family trip and that's kind of just like everybody's present um and what so we go to mexico? so we fly into cancun and i want to say we're in like the riviera maya kind of cancun area i'm not sure if they're like super close or if it's like that's one section, that's a different section, but we're somewhere like along that Riviera Maya kind of Cancun area. Nice. I'm actually doing the exact same thing with my family this year as well. My mom's getting me and obviously my wife and daughter and then my brother and his wife and my little sister and her boyfriend 
And instead of doing Christmas presents, she's taking us all to Puerto Vallarta in February. So kind of the exact okay. same thing. Yeah. And it's nice. Well, it will be really nice. But well, it's nice in general. Don't get me wrong. But next year, my sister finally turns 18. So we can start going to the adults only resorts, yeah. which is kind of like the thing that we've been looking forward to the most. But she's just been the one that's always kind of too young. But next year, Christmas trip, we can finally do the adults only, which I've heard are much, much, much nicer just as far as like actual vacation goes compared to having the kids running around and screaming and doing God knows what. Yeah, we've done the, I've been to Mexico a bunch. I actually have my grandparents own a condo in Mazalon. So we've made that trips a bunch of times. Um, Every single winter, we basically go, my wife and I and daughter went two years ago, we went and spent like three weeks there and I can obviously just work from there. And so we just kind of lived our everyday lives in Mexico for three weeks. And that was a lot of fun, but we've also gone and done like the adult only versus the like family type of resorts and the adult only ones are, they are a lot of fun. Like it's just more catered obviously towards adults having a good time as opposed to that family aspect, which that can be fun as well. But the adults only is definitely a lot of fun and it can get a little bit wild. So I'm excited for you to get to do that because it is a really, really good time. I remember last year, the I think the craziest thing that kind of happened as far as like events goes was um, it was one of those, I forget what they call them, but like you put the headphones on and like you have the music in your headphones, but it's not actually like blasting out to like the public. So it's kind of like a silent, like mosh pit type like dance party. Never I tried going for like five minutes and I walked in and I'm like, this is looks weird. <laughs> I can't be here. <laughs> yeah. If you were, I was like, not my scene. If you were one of the only ones that took your headphones out and everybody else had theirs in, that would just, I can just like picture what that would look like. That would look super mm-hmm. awkward. Yeah. But you know, I'm super pumped for that. And like I said, I, I love traveling. So that's just one of those things that I kind of constantly look forward to. It's like, if there's not a vacation book, then like, what's going on type thing but yeah yeah super super grateful just to be in a position to where i can be flexible with my work schedule i can travel and it's like whether i am in mexico or whether i'm in somewhere in europe or even back home it's as long as i have the wi-fi my computer my kind of setup it's you know i can virtually work from wherever i want and that's allowed me to travel to some really cool places over the last couple years and yeah, just something that's one of my hobbies that I kind of just fully invest and, you know, put money towards and always just make sure that I have the funds to be able to do that. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of the coolest parts about working online, right? There are definitely pros and cons to not having like a normal nine to five to where you go into work every single day and are expected like to wake up at the exact same time, being as being a place for a specific amount of time and be able to leave. Like I find myself being more and more grateful for that, especially the older that I get. And with my daughter, like this morning, I'm able to, to wake up. So today's my rest day from the gym. So I don't get up super early to go to the gym, but I always make sure that I do something active on my rest days, especially in the mornings during that time that I, I would be training. So like normally I'm up and out before the girls are even awake and getting ready for school um, to go to the gym. But this morning I woke up a little bit later because I always didn't have to train and I'm able to take Charlie to school, drop her off and just do those types of things that I know a lot of people aren't able to do, um, which is super cool. And then afterwards, like I was able just to go over to the driving range. I use that as my activity for the day instead of going for a walk and um, just kind of live, like set your own schedule, I guess. And there's cons to that because then a lot of the times like where I'm not working a a regular nine to five and you probably deal with the same thing, I find myself overworking a lot. So like maybe if I start work at nine, well, I don't put the laptop away until like eight or nine at night as well. Or maybe I'll take a little bit of a break in the day. And so then I'll just make up for that work at night, which can then obviously impede on family time and, and whatnot. And so finding that balance, I feel like it's something that I still actively work at. I feel like there's some people that would be like, oh, I have the perfect balance. But for me, it's something that, that I'll find sometimes. And then I go to extremes on either end, or maybe I'm not working quite as much. And then there's other times where I'm working all the time. You know what I mean? Do you find yourself running into that same thing? Yeah, I think it's like a never ending, just kind of like work in progress of finding the balance of like, because I don't want to put myself into like, I work these hours from this hour to this hour, I'm doing this, this hour to this hour, I'm doing this. 
it just feels a bit inauthentic to me to be like every Monday, like from this hour to this hour, you know, I'm doing this. So for myself, it's kind of like you said, it ends up being, you know, I have a bit of freedom to when I can wake up. But that also means I have freedom as far as like when I can go to bed and stuff like that. So it's sometimes like I'll get a message or an email because I have the push notifications on my phone. It's like 8 p.m. I get a client email and it's kind of like I know I shouldn't reply because it's 8 p.m. But also I could reply just to kind of not having a list to do tomorrow. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, if I'm responding at 8 p.m., that's kind of like encouraging the contact, you know, kind of like after hours. But you know, there aren't really like official business hours, I guess, unless you set that expectation with, you know, clients, which is something that I'm not quite there yet, but it has kind of crossed my mind of like, you know, I'm going to respond to messages between this hour and that hour, but I know I'm very much like a people pleaser. So yeah, it's a, it's a work in progress of kind of finding that balance between the, between the two. Yeah. It's super tough. I run into that big time as well, because obviously I'm working with clients on a day-to-day -day basis and having emails flooding in and trying to stay on top of your email inbox. There's nothing worse than in our profession, getting on your into your emails and you've got like 20 to 25 emails listed up that you have to go through. That's going to take you half of a day if you're giving each person the attention that they deserve, right? And so trying to keep up on that for myself and then also on the social media side of things, as well, because obviously like I have a list of importance, right? Like the thing that's the most important to me as an individual who like, I'm going to give my first response of attention to is obviously going to be my wife and my daughter on a day-to-day -day basis. But then number two to that is clients, right? Making sure that people who are working with us actively are getting taken care of and are getting handled in a very timely manner and getting responses and support as much as they need throughout that process. But then for me, three is social media. Because to keep the business going, I have to essentially be present on social media and helping people because that's how we end up getting a lot of our clients is through building relationships on social media and helping people and gaining trust with them till they're in a position where it's like, you know, what, I've been trying this for however long by myself and it's not working. Like I need help. And if I've built those types of relationships, then obviously we're probably going to be the people that they'll reach out to in order to get that help. So for me, it's handling those, but then like, so I get through my workday with, with clients and whatnot, and then it's nighttime. And then maybe I've got a bunch of comments on social media posts, or I've got a bunch of DMS from social media and to keep the business moving forward. It's pretty vital for me to be building those relationships and making those connections on there as well. So I struggle with that hardcore at nighttime, putting the phone away and not continuing to work because for me, which is different for a lot of just like everyday people with regular nine to fives, social media is kind of your place that you can go to escape. You know what I mean? To just like mm -hmm. get flooded when I'm on social media, I, I'm never really in the trap of like scrolling and just looking at people's feeds. Like when I go on social media, it's another form of work, right? It's creating content, it's responding, talking with people. And so I, I definitely have a struggle with that balance in my wife. Sometimes she's okay with it. And then other times I can feel like she's definitely annoyed, which is totally understandable. If it's like seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock at night and watching a movie and I'm sitting there doing stuff on social media, but finding that, that right balance. I've had times in my life where, like I said, I feel like I've found that right balance and can like put the phone away at nighttime. And then I find other times to where I lose that structure and kind of just get wrapped up. And so it's something that I have to try to stay super mindful of and it's not easy, but again, pros and cons, right? Like there's a lot of pros as well to with like the freedom and setting up my own schedule and being able to do things that probably a lot of dads aren't be able, able to do with their kids in regards to like not missing soccer games or taking her to school or taking her to lunch or different things like that. So there's definitely pros and cons and it's, but it is hard to find that right balance and something that I struggle with all the time. I always kind of classify it as for myself, there's a difference between scrolling social media to like connect with like your peers or like your friends or to see what kind of family's up to and like scrolling social media for like work. So sometimes it'll be seven o'clock, eight o'clock and I've been working all day. And part of that is kind of going through interacting on social media, stuff like that. But then like by the time seven, eight, eight o'clock hits, it's like, you've been on your phone for this amount of hours. It's like, now you're going back on your phone, but then it's like, but this time it's scrolling for like actual fun. Yeah. The previous scrolling was 
social media scrolling. Like there, there's a difference between the two, but no, I can totally relate to what you're saying of like, you can kind of sense when you're a little too invested kind of into the social media aspect, but it's hard because like a large part of our job, like it revolves around social media. So it's, we're on it for a different reason than I think a lot of people. But part of that also kind of comes with what what we talked about a few podcasts ago. I forget if, if it was the last one or the one before, but it was like people don't fully understand yet what it is that we do, like what online coaching really is. So when you're like, oh, like I'm on Instagram for work, I find that a lot of people still don't truly get what it means to be on Instagram for work. There's like, well, you're just commenting, you're just liking different posts, you're just, you're, you know, you're scrolling, watching the stories. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of how I build my audience. Like I have to post, I have to comment, I have to engage and make connections because that's really the only way to kind of get yourself out there and kind of get just people seeing your content. And, you know, like you said, when they're ready to reach out, you'll be the one that's kind of top of mind for them. So yeah, definitely can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Switching gears just a little bit. How is your current training going? How are things on the, the fitness realm of things? Tough, but in a good way, not tough as in like, I'm not getting in just tough as far as like, some of the progressions and just kind of like getting used to those. A big thing that's going on in like the Paragon block now that I'm doing is kind of like a pre-exhaust. So for those of you who aren't familiar with pre-exhaust, it's basically combining two movements together. And if you want to get really technical, the first movement is typically going to be a bit more biased towards the short position of the muscle, think like the contracted position. So things like leg extensions, leg curls, uh, or lying leg curls, dumbbell lateral raises, kind of stuff like that. And then you pair it with something that's more of like a lengthened bias to basically just completely fatigue the muscle. And so the whole idea is you're going to be stronger majority of the time in that lengthened position. So when you fatigue totally on something like this morning, I was doing dumbbell lateral raises, and then you pair it with a wrist height cable lateral raise, you're able to knock out, let's say, an additional four to six, six to eight reps because you're working in the more lengthened kind of range of the musculature, which is basically like you're going to failure on that first set of lateral raises, but now it's like, okay, let's do some partial reps in that lengthened range to really fatigue that muscle. And that's the first superset of the day. And just from that alone, it's like, all right, holy crap, like my shoulders feel like they're on fire right now. It's just, it's a very effective, but very tough kind of thing if you're doing it correctly in your training. Yeah, we just ran something similar to that, I believe in the last block of our ladies group coaching program. Um, it's a, it, a little bit different in some regards, like we weren't doing a, a shortened position lateral raise to a lengthened position lateral raise, but like we were doing a, a lateral raise paired at the first of the training session paired with a dumbbell shoulder press. So to pre-fatigue the, the lateral delt and then go into a shoulder press directly after just to kind of get push volume quicker and create fatigue at a little bit of a faster pace in specific muscle groups. And then we were doing that with, with the glutes as well as like, we'd start with a cast glute bridge and then move into a dumbbell RDL and superset those two together. So it is a super tough way to train, but I think that there's time and a place for it, right? You mentioned that it's something that you're doing just in this block. It's not something that you'll always do. And just like in our ladies only um, group coaching, we ran that for a four week block, but that's not what we're always focused on. So pairing that kind of stuff into your training, just to add a little bit of periodization in different phases with, with different types of hypertrophy techniques um, is something that in my opinion, one just keeps the training fun and dynamic, which is super important to staying looking forward to what you're doing in the long term, um, and whatnot. So I like that. I, I throw that kind of stuff in every now and again, as well into my training blocks too. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a more, you definitely get more sore after training like that mm -hmm. versus just doing, I'd say like the lengthened position movements or just any movement like on its own. 
just because you're taxing the full muscle in such a short amount of time and you're doing that. I mean, typically it's like one movement's kind of chosen. So like today is shoulders and the rest of the workout was like a chest support machine row, um, like a hammer strength, like incline press. It was rope face pulls, tricep extensions, and then like face away cable curls. But yeah, I mean, by the time we're doing that, like it's not super high volume. It's really for the most part, anywhere from like two to three, occasionally like four sets for an exercise. Um, but yeah, I mean, even just doing two sets of that is when you, when you do it right, you do it right. And a lot of people kind of think just two sets, like, why am I just doing two sets? I thought it'd be like, you know, four or five, six sets of like seven, eight exercises. And it's just like, if you're actually training the right way, you don't, you shouldn't need four sets, every single exercise, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 different exercises. And I think that's a big thing that I've learned over the years and something that I've impl implemented into my training, which has led to far better results than like the high volume, crazy type training I was doing when I was 16, 17 years old in high school. Yeah. I have an interesting take on this. And I think a lot of people would probably relate if you're further into your training career. Again, I've, you've been at this for 10 years. I've been at this for almost 15 years at this point. And I've found that for like the first probably seven to eight years, I trained in higher volumes for sure, doing anywhere from like three to five sets on the majority of the exercises that I was doing. And to be like quite honest, that is where I built the vast majority of my muscle was in those high. And obviously the, the first half of your training career, you're going to build a lot more muscle than you are in the second half of your training career as a natural, right? Just because that adaptation does slow down and it's harder to continue to progressively overload and manage fatigue and stay healthy while managing all of that together. And so progress does slow down the longer that you get into it, but I was doing anywhere from three to five working sets for that first half. And now at this point, if I tried to do three to five hardworking sets, like I just simply can't recover from that because the loads that I'm using are obviously heavier. Um, I'm just going to put myself in a position to where I'm much more vulnerable to end up getting injured and potentially even overtraining because now I'm in a position as well as where like I know what the correct intensity is and what's needed in each set to be able to build muscle. So for example, back in the day, if I was doing three to five sets, like I was looking through my I have an old app called rep count that I would track all of my training in. And so it's kind of cool because mm -hmm. I can go back till to like clear back to like 2016, 2015 and see like what kind of weight I was using, how many sets I was doing, um, what my PRs were and whatnot. And so a few weeks ago, I was in just kind of bored one night and started looking through all of my own training. And I noticed I was doing like for bench press, let's say I would do five sets. Uh, let's say I had like 225 pounds on the bar five sets. And I would do all five of those sets for roughly six reps. The reps would match every single set over five sets, right? And this is probably how a lot of people train today. If you're listening to this, if you're doing the exact same amount of reps in every single set that you do, and let's say you're doing up to five sets, more than likely that first two to three sets was not super effective. And I'll explain to you why that's because the only reps that actually matter when it comes to body composition, not next, not, not necessarily when it comes to like overall developing strength, but when it comes to building mus muscle, the reps that are actually going to create muscle growth are the reps that are near failure in those sets. So you have to be within at least roughly four reps of failure to, for those last, that last rep, let's say if you trained to four sets or four reps away from failure. So you did 10 reps, but let's say you could have got up to 14 reps. Well, the only reps that were actually conducive towards muscle growth were maybe that ninth and 10th rep um, throughout that process. And so I was doing, if you're able to match reps on every single set, you're probably not training close enough to failure and getting those effective reps at the end of the set that are near failure, right? So let's say that you're able, so my training now compared to then looks like in my first set, I'll do maybe two to three sets in that first set. Let's say if I'm able to get 10 reps, well, I made sure that I could only do maybe, maybe one or two more reps at most likely the absolute max in regards to um, if I was to continue pushing past the amount of reps that I did, I'm getting very close to failure. So in that next set, I'm only, I'm more fatigued. 
I can't get that exact same 10 reps until I act unless I wanted to actually fail at that 10th rep. So then I'm training my next rep set is maybe only to around like seven to nine reps to be able to get those effective reps. And then if I do a third set, well, maybe then I'm only able to get anywhere from five to seven reps because I'm building that fatigue in each set and not able to actually match the reps to the set that I did previously. And so I can look back at that and be like, man, I did a ton of junk volume, which it helped me grow. Like it, it did work for whatever reason, but I think that the more advanced you get in your training and the more you understand intensities and what you need to do to be as efficient with your time as possible in your training sessions, well, you're going to give a much better effort in each of those sets so that you don't have to accrue as many sets, right? And so that's just something that I see people making a huge mistake of. If you're doing five sets of an exercise and you're, a, you're say you're using 40 pounds and you're doing 10, 10 reps in all five of those sets, those first couple of sets were basically almost useless. You'd be better off just increasing the weight or adding more reps to that first set to make it more challenging so that in the later sets, you're not able to get as many reps because you're more fatigued, but you're going to get more reps that are close to failure that are going to be actually productive and conducive towards you creating body composition time. So you're going to use your time much more efficiently. You want to talk about junk volume back when I first started working out. Of course, my favorite thing to train was like arms. And so me and my best friend oh, had yeah. this thing. We would go in and we would do what was the it was it was from T Nation and it was the 1000 rep arm workout, 500 reps of biceps, 500 oh, wow. reps of triceps. And so what it was, it was basically five sets of 20, five sets of 20 reps. It's hard for me to even say this without laughing now, but five sets, 20 reps for, I guess that would be a hundred reps, 10 different exercises. And as much as I like, I don't like that type of training. I do think a big reason, like my arms look the way they do and not that they're like big by any means, but I'd say like like my bicep peaks are like one thing that people kind of look at and are like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm jealous of like your bicep peak. And they're like, I've been asked like, what, like, what have you done for like your arms? Like, what have you done for your biceps to kind of get the peak to look like that? One thing it's just, it's how my biceps insert and like what my genetics are. Yeah, But the other thing is like my sophomore, junior year of high school, my arm days were the thousand rep arm workout. Like that's what they were. And I would do that like maybe like once, like once a month. And it's crazy to think back and like look and see that I would do that. But it does kind of go to show. And I think a big thing to kind of take away from all this, there's definitely like more optimal ways of doing things. But regardless, like if you're consistent with whatever you're doing, like you in the past training, like, yes, it wasn't optimal, but like that is when you did or when you had the most consistent growth. And so it's like for both you and I, was it perfect? No, but like it, we had fun doing it. We loved it. It kept us consistent. And so like naturally, like we grew. And yeah. so even if you aren't necessarily, or you're kind of second guessing, like, am I doing the correct amount of sets, you know, reps? How do, how do I know how much to do? Worry about just like getting in the gym first, finding something that you enjoy, and then kind of going on from that versus just saying, well, I've been doing four sets, 10 reps for all my exercises. They're saying that's wrong. So I just won't work out at all until I figure out what is correct. So yeah, but I've definitely found it within my own training as well. Just as I've gotten more advanced, my reps never stay four sets of 10 across like all my sets for an inclined dumbbell chest press. It might go 12 reps, nine reps, eight reps, six reps mm-hmm. and yeah. that's just yeah yeah no i i couldn't agree with you anymore and i think so for me looking back when i was doing a bunch of volume one thing that definitely happened is i was injured a hell of a lot more right i had achy hips if from squatting if i was doing five heavier sets of squats like bad hips bad knees um, with all of my pressing, I was ending up with a lot of different types of shoulder injuries. So I was always dealing with some sort of a nagging injury. And that's what ultimately got me to the point where I was like, okay, like 
there's got to be a little bit of a better way to go about this and just decreasing my volumes and pushing a little bit harder in less sets um, just puts you in a position to where you're less prone to end up with as many injuries in my humble opinion. And of course my form's gotten better as I've gotten older as well, but knock on wood, I, I haven't really dealt with much injuries over the last few years, as opposed to looking back to like five, six years ago, I always had some sort of an issue. I remember I had like really bad shoulder issues for a while. I ended up with a hernia. At one point I had to go in for a surgery to get that taken care of. I had really bad back issues. I had knee issues and it was just because I was doing so much volume. And this isn't to say that if you are doing those higher volumes and as Alex said, like matching your reps with every single set, you still can progress from that. I progressed from that. But again, I was injured more often. But the most important thing that I was doing that created that progress, I wasn't going into the gym every single week and doing, let's say for bench press, I wasn't doing five sets of 225 for six reps. No, like looking back at my program, I was still focused on progressive overload, right? So I was doing a lot of volume, but I was still focused on progressing. So like in the first week, maybe it was it was four reps I was getting for all of those sets. In the second week, it was five reps for all of those sets. In the third week, it was six reps. In the fourth week, maybe I was pushing for seven reps. So I was still trying to progress, which was creating those adaptations. But um, if, from my perspective, like looking back, well, I was injured all the time. And so now decreasing that amount of volume and still focusing on progressing and pushing a little bit harder in each of those sets close to failure um, to make those sets more efficient um, has just worked much, much better. So, and again, I talk with people all the time who, I, I was talking to one guy that was saying that he does like 25 working sets per muscle group in his training. I was like, man, like that is a lot of, of volume. And after talking with him, he's only been training for two to three years at this point, And he has seen progress. He is moving in the right direction. And then I just asked him like, how are you in regards to the injuries? Right. Like, are you getting hurt very often? Like, are you motivated to train? He's like, yeah, I'm motivated to train. I love to train this way. Like pumps are really good. Um, but I do have like some nagging shoulder injuries and some nagging, um, knee injuries as well that are, that are coming up and always bothering me. I'm like, you're going to get to a point to where like, if it's working for you, amazing. If you love it, keep doing it. But at some point you're going to have to start adjusting that and decreasing the amount of volume that you're doing and potentially increasing the intensity in each of those sets to get closer to failure, just to mitigate that risk and not push so much load on your joints and ligaments on a, on a week to week basis so that you can stay healthy and continue to progress and actually continue to be able to train. So, so yeah, interesting. It's just, um, it's a way to see progress by no means. Is it the most efficient? You're just, you just have to realize by doing that, you're probably going to spend a lot longer time in the gym that you need to. You can still build the muscle. You're just doing more sets that aren't facilitating that stimulus that you want towards muscle growth. And then, like you said, with the injuries, I believe that just to be a thing of like, you're just causing a lot more fatigue to your nervous system, yeah. which as a result is going to end up with your body kind of being more frail, if you want to say just because like, yeah, you can build muscle doing, I think there's like the study where it's like, you know, as long as you're lifting within three reps of failure, you can build muscle from anywhere from like five reps to 30 reps, whatever it is. But I can promise you, if you go in and do 25 reps to like failure for five sets, every single workout, you're going to be a lot more fatigued than going and doing like six to 10 reps. And yeah, I think that's kind of like the biggest takeaways. You can get the same results. One is going to take a lot longer and cause a lot more fatigue for a not very good reason. Yeah. And we all mature the longer that we get into it. And hopefully for you listening to this, like however you're training now, um, if you're enjoying it and you're progressing your lifts over time and you're motivated to continue training, amazing. Keep doing what you're doing if it's working. But if you're in a position to where maybe you're losing motivation, maybe your body's starting to feel ran down. Maybe it's hard to be able to continue progressing. Maybe you are in a position to where like nagging injuries are always coming up. And so you're always having to work around them. Well, then I, I just think it becomes super important to become self-aware, right? Is what I'm doing actually conducive and effective to one, me being able to stay consistent over the long haul? Um, and going to and helping me still see the progress that I'm looking to see. And if you get to the point to where there's more cons than there are pros to what you're currently doing, then it becomes time to make a, a adjustment to what you're doing to 
just use your time more efficiently. And as you said, the most important thing is being able to find what you can do that you're going to be able to stay consistent with the best over the long term. Like for me, when I used to train, my sessions were an hour and a half to two hours. I don't have that kind of time anymore. My sessions are closer to anywhere from 40 minutes up to usually 60 minutes max. I never want to be in the gym for longer than 60 minutes at a time. And so adjusting so that I can stay consistent and increasing intensity and output in each set allows me to be able to do less sets and still create the same amount of progress. So just finding whatever is that is for you. I don't think there's a perfect way to train and I don't think there's necessarily um, an all out wrong way to train. It comes down to what you enjoy and what you can progress. And as long as your body composition is moving in the right direction and you're staying healthy throughout it, then there's no reason to necessarily change it. It's funny because that type of training where it's like the higher this volume in general, when I switch clients from that type of training to the lesser sets, higher rest between the sets, it's kind of the question of, or statement, I'd say more saying, I don't have time to spend 90 minutes in the gym. And it's like, no, like the increased rest periods are meant to make it so you do less volume but achieve the same results. And it's like, this should actually take you less time than what you're doing. If you're actually doing it appropriately, like, yes, you might be resting two to three minutes, let's say between like barbell back squats. And that might even be like three to four minutes for some of the more experienced lifters. But it's like, even if you're resting for three, four minutes between a set of barbell back squats, you would only need, let's say, you know, two sets of that to like kind of push yourself. And then it's like, yeah, like you said, it shouldn't take you more than 60, 75 minutes if you're going about it that way, just because the sets, like you wouldn't need 25 sets. You know, you can go in and accomplish, let's say, 10 to 16 working sets over the span of like the week versus what some people are doing in a singular day. So, yeah, that's, that's all I got on that high volume, low volume topic. That's what we'll title this this episode is something about junk volume or high volume versus low volume or something like that because i think it's a super important topic to cover and it's been kind of hyped on social media everybody talking about junk volume and avoiding it and what to pay attention to but i think that there's a lot more nuance than what you can give in a 60 second reel on tiktok or on instagram or in a tiktok video so that's what we'll title this episode let's hop into some questions though um and go through these. I've got four questions here. We'll probably get to two or three of these questions. We'll just see how it goes. But number one, we've got four cardio is high intensity or low intensity better for fat loss. Yeah, I'm not going silent. I'm just thinking here of how I want to answer this. Both are going to have their time and place in terms of fat loss. I think the biggest thing to kind of kind of pay attention to is depending on which route you're choosing to go the reason i advocate a lot of clients to do more steps as opposed to high intensity training or high intensity like boot camp classes you know running hills doing intervals stuff like that he's basically saying like high intensity meaning let's just clarify this so high intensity cardio would mean types of cardio that's going to to shoot your heart rate up quite high as opposed to low intensity is going to be where you're able to still keep a conversation potentially when doing that cardio, your heart rate might increase a little bit, but it's not so high that like you can't talk and you're completely out of breath. Would that, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So one, you can keep your kind of like you're sweating a little bit, kind of glowy, sweaty skin, not like dripping sweat. The other one would be, let's say 15, 20 minutes, but you're doing like 30 seconds on minute off, 30 seconds on minute off, however you want to set it up. But regardless of how you set it up, the lower intensity one is not going to have the same stress response as the high intensity one. And so why this matters for those of you who want to lose fat, especially if you're not tracking macros, when you increase your activity from runs or high intensity interval type stuff, the just more intense type cardio you are going to also have a bigger hunger spike. So it's a lot easier to essentially do that high-intensity cardio and then eat it back. And you don't do this on purpose, but your body just finds ways to kind of expel less energy to make up for the cardio that you did. 
Now, it still has great cardiovascular benefits for you, but you just need to be cognizant of that. In addition to, if you're inducing more stress through your cardio, you probably want to pull back a bit of the stress that you're getting from your training. So with the low intensity, it's you can get that energy expenditure up, but you're not going to have that same spike as far as like hunger goes. So it's easier to kind of maintain that balance of training, energy expenditure, and not feeling like you're just ravenously hungry because you worked out so hard doing that kind of high intensity training. So both are great. Both have the respective benefits for cardiovascular benefits. It's just kind of knowing and honoring the different benefits that they both kind of give you. And that would be kind of my perception on it. I agree. A key component to the question was for fat loss, right? Is high intensity or low intensity better for fat loss? And I think what you mentioned there in regards to your cardiovascular system and like increasing your overall heart health and just your body's health in general, doing some high intensity type of cardio is good, right? It's good to challenge your, your cardiovascular system. It is good to get a high heart rate and to, to push yourself to create those adaptations and whatnot. It is good for your overall health. But when we were talking about purely fat loss and helping somebody be able to actually lose weight, which that comes with its own health improvements as well. If you're somebody who is, who has 30, 40, 50 pounds to lose, you getting to a leaner state is going to improve your overall health markers with blood pressure, potentially with, um, your hormonal profile, all these types of things. And so if you're in that type of a situation, I'm always going to lead towards low intensity, just hitting a step goal or zone two type of cardio to where you're increasing your heart rate slightly through your, um, cardio session, but you're just kind of doing a brisk walk to where you could still hold the conversation with somebody while doing that cardio, because as you said, it's going to have a much lower stress response as opposed to the high intensity type stuff, which I find more often than not is definitely going to increase hunger levels throughout the process. So I just found that it can be kind of counterproductive. It can be good for overall health markers, but if we were focused on fat loss, the main component to fat loss, obviously is staying in a calorie deficit, right? And one of the most important things to be able to sustain a calorie deficit over the long term is to be able to try and control your hunger levels as much as we can. So if we're throwing in a bunch of high intensity type of training, well, that's going to increase your hunger levels, which is going to make it harder for you to stay consistent inside of the calorie deficit. So my first instinct always when working with people, when it comes to setting cardio up is one, let's just try to get you consistent with for the vast majority, which is like everyday jobs, or if you work a, a traditional type of desk job and aren't on your feet a ton, like let's just try to aim for some between seven to 8,000 steps per day. If you can get that through like just taking care of your kids and um, with your office and parking and going to the gym and walking around, if you can hit that, amazing. If you can't, then we're going to throw in maybe like a, a 15 to 20 minute walk in the day, but it's not like to, to get your heart rate up super high or to, to look at it as like cardio. It's just to get you hitting that actual step goal that we're trying to hit to keep your activity level high enough and your caloric output high enough so that the calories that we're taking in are creating that deficit that we're looking for. Um, and so that's where I always go when it comes to cardio. And then let's say you get down the road, you've been hitting that consistent 8,000 steps every single day and you're staying consistent with your nutrition, you're in that deficit. Well, as you continue to lose more and more weight, your metabolic rate does slow down a little bit, right? There are adaptations that take place there and you can run into plateaus in regards to not seeing weight loss continue to happen when still eating at the same amount of calories and doing the same amount of activity that you were doing before that was eliciting a weight loss response. Now it's no longer eliciting that weight loss response. Well, at this point, then you have a choice. You can either increase the amount of steps you're doing. Let's bump you up to, let's say 10 to 11,000 steps per day to get more of a caloric output happening. So you're burning more calories on a daily basis to create that deficit. Or if that just does not seem reasonable to you, you don't have the time or you don't feel like you can be consistent with that higher output in regards to your step goal. Well, then in that position, we're going to need to decrease your calories a little bit to still create that same gap in the calories that you're expending compared to the calories that you're inputting to create that little bit of a deeper deficit to elicit that same response in weight loss over the long term. So that's how I like to look at cardio in regards to fat loss. We're not like doing dedicated running. We're not doing like these 
crazy types of circuits um, to get your heart rate up super high. If if somebody comes to me and they really enjoy training that that way, I'm not going to tell them we can't absolutely do any of that, but we need to mitigate it and keep it down to maybe like one max, max two times per week, and then focus the rest of what you're doing around your strength training. Um, and then obviously getting on point on the nutrition side of things and making sure that your caloric intake is in a good place. That's going to elicit the fat loss response that we're looking for um, and manipulate that throughout the process. But you do, in my opinion, it, it's a really good idea to try to mitigate the amount of high intensity style of cardio that you're doing and focus more on that low intensity type of cardio when that sole goal is helping somebody actually be able to lose body fat and get to a leaner level. I'll say, use it. Don't abuse it. If you want to do some zone five cardio, zone four cardio, whatever it is, utilize it. It's just, and I think you can agree with me here. A lot of the clients we see coming in have utilized it, but are just overdoing how much they're utilizing it like if your goal is to build like a lean just i'll say it in quotes here like lean tone physique your time shouldn't be spent like in those boot camp classes trying to sweat as much as you can like you're not going to build any muscle that way and like that tone that you're after comes from getting leaner and building muscle and so the piece that many are missing is they're super high stress doing a lot of cardio but lifting like five pound weights, you know, for an hour, it's hard, but it's not hard for the right reason. So if you are going to utilize it, just know why you're, why you're using it and like know how it's going to affect your long-term progress that you're after. Cause odds are most people wouldn't be doing, doing the amount that they're doing if they understood like what it takes to reach the goal body that they're after. You nailed it. Moving on. If I can only lift, I really like this question, by the okay. way, I was excited with this one. I'm excited to hear what, what your answer is. When other when I've listened to other podcasts and whatnot, I like listening to people's perspective on this. Um, if I can only lift two days per week, what are the top compound exercises I should be doing to hit my entire body and build muscle? So you only have two days per week that you can work out. And if somebody wants to build muscle, like just generally in their entire body, like be able to build more muscle definition all around, have more of an athletic look, and they can only train two days per week, um, what what exercises would you favor? So if I'm reverse engineering this, what comes to mind would be doing essentially a full body split on both days. And the way that I would think about it is instead of trying to hit like everything on the same session would be doing like a full body push and a full body pull. At least that's what's kind of coming to mind. So for those of you who don't know, like push versus pull, you have essentially pushing muscles and you have pulling muscles. So your pushing muscles would be like your shoulders, your chest, your quadriceps, your pulling muscles would be like your back. It would be things like your biceps, for example. And so what I would do is I would think, okay, I can lift two times per week. And then I would break that down into movement patterns. So you have an overhead press, you have an overhead pull, horizontal press, horizontal pull, you have your knee dominant and hip dominant exercises. And I know this is probably going to seem a bit complicated for some of you listening. So if you want to kind of go back and rewind that, this will make a whole lot of sense here. But essentially, like if I have an overhead press, that's going to be any sort of shoulder press or horizontal press, any sort of like chest press, for example, knee dominant lunges, squats, step up, stuff like that, hip dominant, hip thrusts, RDLs, kind of stuff like that. So depending on what day it would be, day one, full body push, I could start and prioritize with the barbell shoulder press. And then next week, I'd kind of do like a 1A 1B type thing. So like week one, I might prioritize in a four-week cycle the barbell chest press as the first exercise. Week, let's say two, I would then prioritize like the barbell, whatever I just said, the opposite of. So like shoulder, shoulder press, press, 1A, chest press, 1B. And then I would go down the list and do the same. So like for the back, I could think of like pull-ups would be a great one. For the shoulders, overhead press, Horizontal push would be a chest press for um, row. It would be like some sort of like 
T-bar row, barbell row, any sort of like, you know, machine, like hammer strength rope, for example. And then for the legs, it'd be some sort of squatting pattern and then some sort of like hip hinge, like RDL or like hip thrust variation. But that would be kind of my top is shoulder press, chest press, some sort of row, some sort of squat, and then some sort of like hip hinge RDL type movement and kind of like altering, like maybe one phase you do like a barbell RDL, maybe then you do like a single leg RDL, the next, however you want to do it, but that's kind of what comes to mind and like I can respond to in a five-ish minute time frame. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll go a little bit deeper and give some, like just off of the top of my head, a, let's say a four-week block that you could run with that type of, of thinking, right? So let's say that you're going to do a full body push on one day of the week, and then you're going to do a full body pull on the other day of the week. So here's here's a list of exercises in each of those that you could do that would essentially hit the um, the entire body. So let's say on your full body push day, what you would I would have you start with would be you could switch you could choose between if you wanted to do a hack squat or if you wanted to do a heel elevated um, back squat with a barbell or a Smith machine either one that you want to do, whatever your preference would be. That's going to put a lot of tension, obviously, on the quads. So the front of your legs. And then once you finish that exercise, exercise number two, again, would be, so this will change depending upon the gender that I'm working with, most likely. If this is for a man, for a male, typically men have a bigger bias of wanting to grow a chest. Right. And so in this situation, I'd have them choose um, a dumbbell chest press if they wanted to focus on their their chest. Or if this is a female, most of the time they're not super worried about like building a big chest per se. They're more focused on like building nice defined shoulder caps. Right. So in this situation, I'd have them doing a very steep incline dumbbell shoulder press, which is basically just targeting the, the front part of the shoulder. Maybe it'll include a little bit of the, the upper chest as well. Um, but mostly for the shoulders, um, and then the dumbbell chest press for men, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're pressing, um, horizontally, you're still putting a decent amount of, um, strain or not strain, but tension, tension. on the front delt, right? You're still training the front delts to an extent. So somebody really wants to focus on their chest. And again, you only have two days to work out per week. I would bias the dumbbell chest press. But if a guy's like, no, like I want, I want better shoulders or whatnot, then maybe I'd throw in the dumbbell chest press and the dumbbell shoulder press together, which is a little bit less volume on the shoulder press. But so again, for the male dumbbell shoulder or dumbbell chest press for the woman, we would do a dumbbell shoulder press. And so now we've hit our, basically our pressing exercise with the upper body for that training session. Um, and then we definitely still need a little bit of volume in the lateral head of the shoulders, which is something that we'll get trained a little bit with an overhead press. It's not really going to get trained with the dumbbell chest press. That's more just going to hit more of the, the front part of the shoulder. So I throw in some form of a lateral raise. This could be a cable lateral raise. This could be a dumbbell lateral raise, whatever you wanted it to be just to add a little bit of volume to the sides of the shoulders, which we all need. Um, and then from there, what I would also probably add in is something to then train the quads in a shortened position. So we would throw in a leg extension to add a little bit more volume to the quads from the shortened position because the squat or the hack squat is going to bias the quads in more of that lengthened position. So now you've hit um, your, your chest, your shoulders, you've hit your quads decently, um, and now all that you really have left in that, that you would really need to train would be triceps. So you could Don't choose. Don't forget the calves. Oh yeah. The calves. I've been doing a lot of calf training um, lately. And I think that it's you know, worth the guys need the calves I'm not sure. <laughs> I know that's the most universally ignored muscle group just because it's so damn boring to train. We'll throw that in at the end, but anyway, um, to quickly finish that off. You need some sort of a tricep extension to hit the back of your arms, which is one of the pressing muscles. For, so for your triceps, choose between something like a skull crusher, or if you wanted to like a, a crossbody cable tricep extension, something in that regard to be able to hit your, your triceps. And then to finish that off, then you 
if you are feeling motivated or you're an overachiever, like I'm trying to be as of late, throw in some calf raises. I wouldn't do calf raises in a seated position to where your knee is bent. I would bias doing like a standing where your knee is straight throughout the calf extension, where you're standing up or like on a calf sled or something so that you're focusing on, oh man, I'm going to butcher these two names. I can't remember what they are, but there's the, the. I can help you out here. Tell me because I'm going brain dead. I always, when it comes to like. Soleus soleus, gastrocnemius. Yeah. Soleus is below the gastro, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the soleus is the muscle underneath of your gastro. And this is what's going to be biased mostly during like when your knee is bent during a calf raise. Um, And it's not a muscle that you necessarily see. Like you see it coming out underneath of the gastro, um, like down below, but it's not something that I like for most people I'm doing calf type work, like just focus on the gastro. That's the one that you're going to see the, the biggest amount of progress with, or see the most amount of change in your calves in regards to definition, in my opinion. So I would do something where your knee is straight during it, like, um, a standing calf raise machine, or if you have a calf sled, I have one in my gym that I absolutely love. Or if you're standing on a plate or on a bench or something and doing calf raises, just the point is having something where you're straight up and down. So that would be your push day. Um, you give me the pull day. I felt like that. Right, was long. I, I don't got a paper there. in front of me, so this will be a I'll, little tougher. Let me, I'll write them let down. me use my oh, yeah. imagination. So I'm going to say pull day. I'm going to say start with the legs just because I think everyone could use a bit more intensity on their leg days. So I would start with something like either a hamstring bias or a glute bias RDL, but let's just say a Romanian deadlift just to kind of keep it simple. That would be your main hip dominant exercise. From there, I would look into, in my way of thinking, it's a bit more nuanced, but like if I'm doing like a barbell RDL, I'm already fatiguing my low back through the RDL. So I wouldn't then want to go in and do a barbell row because I'm already fatigued from the RDL. So I would opt for something like a chest machine row. So I prefer, if the gym has it, a T-bar row just due to the resistance profile and the stability of the exercise itself. Um, Then from there, I would look- The T-bar row, and when you're saying T-bar row, so there's a couple different ways to do this. Let's just clarify for people. There's a T-bar row that you can essentially do like where you're just standing with like a landmine and like you're bent over, right? And you have all that pressure on your lower back. Alex is referring to the T-bar row bench, essentially. Chest support, yeah, chest supported. So you're standing like on this diagonal basically, and your chest is laying on the pad, which takes all of the pressure off of your low back. So you can just basically focus in on actually rowing and not have any of that tension on your low back because you've already hit the low back. You don't want to fatigue it further from the RDL. I think that's just an important distinction to make. Mm-hmm. And if you don't so- like the chest support for for you women out there, I know it's not the most comfortable to just like lay flat on a bench a lot of times. So another good option would be like the stepped back hammer strength row. I really like that one for just like the lats as a whole. Um, the step back. There, are you talking about the one where you put like the handle on it and then I'm talking about those. So it's like the hammer strength row that's yeah. chest supported. You have one hand on like where the chest support is. And you have the one hand like this. You guys can't oh, see yeah. on video, yeah. but I'm pulling down basically. So the, the machine runs at more of like an arc and I'm targeting more of the lats versus if I was sitting straight up, it would be more like an upper back type row. Yeah. Both are great, but I would like to focus more like of the bigger compound lift on the lat and save the upper back stuff for more of like a kind of like isolation kind of towards the end of where it's not like isolation per se, but just it's not one of the main strength movements. Maybe you can tag that with the the rear delts though as well, right? Like doing exercise mm-hmm. is going to hit the rear delts and the and the upper back because you've only got two sessions. Anyway, go ahead. So then I would go. So just to kind of recap, RDL, we have a chest support row, like a T-bar row, for example. From there, I would do a leg curl variation. We can opt in for the lying leg curl here. Reason being is you're going to be targeting the more contracted, shortened position of the hamstring, whereas like the RDL is going to be more lengthened. So you're kind of thinking, how can I fill in the gap? I trained the lengthened. Now I want to fill in the short position. And then from there, I would look at something like maybe a rear delt cable row. So I've got the lats with T-bar row. 
maybe now I'm doing something like a rear delt cable row, which essentially would be like a cable row, except you're just keeping your arms kind of like 45 degrees just to change the bias of the movement itself a little bit. And then from there, what's I that going do... to bias more? So obviously rear delts, but explain that a little bit deeper as well. So the lat movement, we're pulling the elbow straight into the side of the body. It's obviously going to bias the lats when you row at more of that 45 degree angle. Um, like what part of the back is that hitting? Yeah, it's just, I'd classify it just simply as more like the upper back musculature. So kind of like you see the muscle, if you ever like see a bodybuilder hit a side bicep like chest pose and you see like this weird lump on the back of their shoulder that's going to be the rear delt it's really hard to explain like until you see it you're like oh that's what that is but like unless you are familiar with it just think like back of shoulder like upper back type area okay and then from there it would really just be like a bicep curl variation and that might be like a hammer curl one week maybe a regular curl the next week, but some sort of bicep curl just to kind of finish off the biceps. And that would be two hamstring exercises, two kind of like back exercises. If you classify it as like my back, but I kind of classified as like lats and then upper back. And then one thing for the biceps, just to kind of add in some, cause I mean, who doesn't want better looking biceps? And it's good to kind of, even if you don't need it, it's not compound per se, but it is good to kind of take your muscles through that full range of motion just for like joint health as a whole and just muscle health versus just like I'm always focusing on like strength. You do need kind of some resilience through those ranges if you're looking to kind of optimize everything as a whole versus just like I only care about big muscles. Yeah, I think a very important part of this is that we just train the entire body through two training sessions with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven exercises. Right. I think a lot of people would go into this thinking that they need they need to do roughly 11 exercises in each session to be able to hit the whole body. Right. And so when you have a little bit more knowledge about like biasing specific muscle groups with specific types of lifts that you're doing, um, you can just be more efficient with the time that you're spending, like a program like this, I'm just going to run through this, um, for you guys. This is probably something very similar to what I would actually pro this is extremely similar, similar, if not could potentially be identical to one of the blocks that I would run somebody if they were in this situation. Um, maybe something that I'll even look at running in the future. If I ever get to a point where I ever need to train only two days per week, right? So on your first day of the week, full body push, you've got a hack squat or a Smith machine squat and the Smith machine elevates your heels slightly. So you can push your knees more forward to bias the quads. Your second exercise is going to be a dumbbell chest press or a dumbbell shoulder press, depending on if you want to add the chest into some work, or if you only need to train your shoulders throughout that, then we've got a lateral raise. We've got a leg extension a school crusher and a calf raise. The only thing that I would add into that, if this was a man again, is I may add one more um, chest exercise in somewhere towards the end of that session. So maybe I would add something in like um, a fly to, to train the chest in more of that shortened type squeeze position. So you could add in a pec deck, cable fly, dumbbell fly, whatever your choice would be just to create a little bit more volume in the chest. If that's something that you are focused on. And then for the pull session, you start out with an RDL um, again for for the ladies, obviously, we'd most likely do this in a glute bias type of RDL to train the glutes in more of that stretch position um, for men if they wanted to, to build bigger glutes, which I think I would argue a lot of men could utilize bigger glutes. Like, I don't think that that's something that's just for women. Um, in my opinion, with that as well, with the RDL, I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but for myself currently, when I do an RDL, I'm trying to do it much more straight legged and not necessarily focus in on the hamstrings as much. I'm trying to, or excuse me, the glutes as much just because my glutes are already developed because I did a ton of squats and a ton of RDLs back in the day, which um, made my glutes probably like the best body part that I have, honestly, which is kind of interesting when I wasn't even really meaning to. Um, but with the RDL, I think most people would be better off doing the RDL in more of a glute biased position to be able to hit the glutes and the, cause it's still going to include some of the hamstrings, right? I would argue that the, the RDL done in a glute bias with a little bit more of a bend at your knee 
is more of a compound than the stiff legged deadlift, which is going to bias much more of the hamstring. Obviously the glute will be involved in there a little bit, but just from like my, my bias, I would say for most of you, it'd be a glute bias RDO where you end up with a little bit more bend at your knee. You're still going to get some hamstring work in there. And then you've got a T-bar row, um, where we're focused more on the lats, rowing the elbows in close to the side and squeezing to get a lot of volume into the lats. Then you've got a leg curl, which is going to throw a little bit more volume into the hamstrings. And this is why I think you should do a glute bias RDL to start with, because that leg curl is then going to be in isolation for the hamstrings anyway. So you're still going to get that hamstring work in there. And then you've got a rear delt cable row where you're rowing with the elbows at about a 45 degree angle from the body to bias more of the rear delts, more of the, the upper back. That's going to include some of your traps. That's going to include some of your rhomboids as well. Not as still going to have a little bit of lat work, but it's going to be more biased to those other positions that I mentioned before. And then you have a bicep curl to finish things off. So anybody looking for a two day program, I think we just set you up by listening to this entire episode. And that is where we are going to finish things off. Do you have any closing remarks to that, Alex? No, I was just going to say, I really like the question. So if you have a question, just anything that pops up, I've really liked the last few weeks of this kind of questions that have come in. I think they're well thought out and they get me kind of thinking a little bit and yeah, I mean, just keep them coming and we'll keep the episodes coming. Absolutely. And if you guys have questions from this episode, anything specific for your specific situation, there is always a link down below lostandlifting.com slash podcast to where if you click on that and scroll down, there's a question box there where you can ask whatever questions that you have that will get directly sent to my email inbox. I will always get back to you, giving you personal advice. And then if I feel like those questions can be useful for others who listen as well, I'll bring those questions onto the podcast to dive into them on a little bit of a, a deeper length as well. So we really appreciate you guys. If you can, we'd be greatly appreciative if you would leave us a review. That's how it continues to grow. A star rating, if you can leave us a written review, even better. We are doing a giveaway at the end of this month for those who leave a written review um, that will send you some. We'll get everybody who who left us a written review, um, put you in a little bucket, pick out a name, and then we'll send you some Lost and Lifting swag if you are the one who was chosen. Alex's info is always linked down below as well. Alex underscore Johansson on Instagram. That's correct. Yes. Cool. I'll leave that down below because it's very complicated to spell because he's, what would you be considered? An Icelandic? Is that the Icelandic? Yes. That's Icelandic. The... Yes. Icelandic. Um, so yeah, if you want to follow along to his stuff, see what he's up to, feel more welcome to do that. We appreciate you follow along with the travels. Absolutely. The travels He's going to be traveling soon. Um, we'll chat with y'all soon. Thanks for listening.